Hello and welcome to podcast number 85. I'm your host, Brian Heineser. Joining me this evening are a fantastic group of fellow humans, so they say. Sean or Mac. I'm not fantastic. Not I can f- actually be proven. Whatever. Ian. Hey, everybody. And Kimberly. Fantastic and fabulous. Excellent. And our special guest tonight, Terry. Hi, I'm just mediocre. You're just mediocre. Well, being mediocre is actually still provable. Fantastic (laughs) and fabulous means that you are a fantasy and you are included in a fable. Right. Well, I'm I'm just about the usage of words here. Fine, but not dandy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm moderately neato. So I'm guessing that you might have listened to some of the uh, all-day George Carlin on 103.1 on Sunday? No, I did not. Really? No. Oh. Nope. But it's not hard for me to bring out some George Carlin, you know. Well, 103.1 did all-day George Carlin because it was Carlin's birthday as well as Mother's Day. Excellent. They had Kelly Carlin, his daughter. They had him introducing a bunch of his bits. So uh, it was actually pretty cool. Very good. All right, well, but let's start off by letting Terry – introduce herself and let's and if you've got questions for terry and you'd like to grill her this is the perfect time to do it so let's let her have it okay hey thanks to everyone for having me on i love your podcast and i love um listening to it it's like uh, talking to a group of friends and hearing regular people try to figure stuff out uh cool. so yeah, I'm the fan. yes i'm the fan <laughs> <laughs> so i'm a mom of young kids and i write stuff in public um, my background is anthropology, so I write quite a bit about what I think is going on at the intersection of culture and pseudoscience, and that's where the skeptical angle comes in. Uh, like I write about what I view as the cultural factors that influence people who are drawn to anti-vaccination or scam medicine, for example. And the self-promotion part is that I publish on Anthropologist Underground blog at Open Salon. And in the past, I've been a regular contributor at SheThought.com, which is a feminist critical thinking website, and at an online magazine about critical thinking called Does This Make Sense? Um, Last fall, I participated in a debate on an online radio program called Lost Coast Blues, and that was uh, a debate in which I explored some of the feminist issues that I think influence vaccine rejection. And I'm here today to argue with Ian. (laughs) Yes. So I love good. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, next to you, she, she, you know, she's got the most skeptic chops here. <laughs> I told you guys, I'm just uh, trying to establish fake credibility. <laughs> oh, right. So those were all lies. <laughs> no, they're they're actual they're actual uh, facts, but um, it's not all that impressive. <laughs> <real> <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, we are we are very glad to have you here. And yeah, one of the one of the, one of the reasons that um, you talked to me at Skeptic Camp. And uh, we're hoping that Ian would be there. Um, so Basically, that, my stalker. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, this stalker has a bat. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we'll get on to that uh, here soon. We'll, we'll continue that conversation on uh, on pranks and uh, and hazing here in a bit. Ian was on the Incredible Sky Monsters Monsters podcast with um, Invisible Sky Monsters. Yeah, I'm sorry. Incredible. Oh yeah, that was a mistake on my part. He, he takes his time getting the podcast up. I think we recorded this back in like October. <laughs> I know, but he he spends a lot of time editing um, more than I do. He really he really puts some time into editing to to try and make things sound better. So, so. that's up there. Check it out. We have the link. Um, Trying to remember all of what we talked about. I mean, this was back in October, so it gets a bit. Uh, I know we talked about um, 
interesting enough, connecting some of the stuff we'll talk about tonight, inappropriate um, behavior at cons and stuff towards women. We actually did talk about that. Um, I can't remember the other stuff right now. It's been so long. I started listening to it, but didn't listen to the whole thing. So Yeah, who was, who was the other host on that? Um, It was a re- uh, turning... One that he's had before. Well, uh, it's from it's from his conspiracy the conspiracy podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, the guy has his own conspiracy podcast. Yeah, it's the um, a skeptic's guide to conspiracy is the name of it. The gentleman's name that we we're having trouble placing is Mike Bowler, and I, I well, I'm not I'm not doing him justice now, am I? Anyway, uh, he actually he has a pretty neat podcast too. I hear stuff in the background. All right. Uh, all right. So other announcements, Kimberly? Um, yeah. Well, I, there's a lot of stuff going on in town, although nothing – it's it's mostly regular stuff going on. Um, movie nights, coffee and community stuff. They're doing some interviewing. Um, uh, uh, this guy from the Colorado Film School is doing a project, and he's interviewing atheists and secularists about how they came to atheism. And you can get involved in that on Friday the 17th. It'll be the second time he's doing this. Um, other stuff that's coming up. I mean, there's lots of good things. Nothing really heavy to mention besides we are putting on the second annual Colorado Secular Conference. We've now got a date and a place. It's going to be July 20th. It's a Saturday. It'll be an all-day event. It'll be um, $20 general admission. Uh, $15 for students and seniors, so we're trying to keep it super, super cheap. We're going to have Catherine Stewart coming in to talk about the Good News Club, and we've got Seth Andrews from the Thinking Atheist uh, website and podcast, and he wrote a book called Deconverted, and he's going to be coming in, and we're working on a couple of other speakers now, so it should be a really great event. You can go to www.co for Colorado secularconference.org for all of the information and there'll be more soon so right. that's pretty exciting and you mentioned that a um, couple of us were over at the skeptic camp in Colorado so I just wanted to give a shout out because this is the first time we're recording since then right um, why does it seem like we talked about skeptic camp because we talked about yes we talked you guys about, talked about last time yeah we talked about oh, it yeah, we well did. then yeah. let me just tell you this and I went to Atlanta last week and I went to their skeptic camp so that was an interesting thing. There's a rivalry between Denver and Atlanta. It's not really a real one. They just kind of – everyone likes to pretend there's one. Well, they sent but us a was, nice sign, the member that said, suck at Denver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I came I came out clean about it so that they didn't think I was infiltrating or anything. But some really great speeches, good people. It was a lot of fun. That's great. Uh, of course, and we'll be at Comic-Con. Uh, uh, right. So what did Sylvia Brown do? <laughs> This well, time, Brown, she do? Yeah, Sylvia Brown is being Sylvia Brown, and by now I'm sure everyone has heard the news, the great news, that three missing women were found and escaped their captor. Uh, this you know, all came down just what, about two weeks ago or a week ago. You know, great thing to hear. You know, these ladies were um, banished when they were quite young, and they've been held prisoner for about ten years in this one guy's house. Um, some of the stuff you read about very disturbing. You know really some messed up stuff but shortly after um amanda berry um shortly after she vanished her mother went on montel williams and asked sylvia brown um you know if she could help her with it and sylvia's reply was uh she's not alive honey your daughter's not the kind who wouldn't call 
Well, obviously, ten year, nearly ten years later, she's been proven one hundred percent wrong. Right, but here's the point. Here's one thing though that I I would like to to point out is probably may not be Sylvia Brown's fault. She may have contributed to it, but shortly after, um, Luana Miller died in in 2006 right at the age of 44 they say of heart failure they really want to connect that particular incident to this incident with sylvia brown and i kind of i i yes you could make that connection i just i'm not sure that it's fair certainly what sylvia brown said on the show coming out and basically saying yeah your um your daughter's not alive she would definitely call uh, is incredibly insensitive right and 100% wrong, apparently. Well, it was 100% wrong, and this is not the first time that she's been wrong. Do you, do you remember the, the other the woman in California that was being kept in the tent in the backyard? Yeah. Yeah, well, Sylvia Brown said she was dead, too. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that's the case when we covered that. she's she, She's been wrong. Well, one of her other articles here where um, Sylvia's doing – talking about Sylvia's um, damage control over all of this. Right. Um, they say that um, according to her website, she claims the eighty-seven to ninety percent success rate. But um, it then follows up by saying, "Well, actually, um, they did some stuff looking at her Montel Williams predictions. They, they took like one hundred and fifteen of her Montel Williams predictions, and the skeptical inquirer did this, and she had a zero percent success rate." <laughs> And they typically do. When when you actually go back and look at these people's successes, right, the ones that they publish, but her claim would be, well, you know, I don't publish all, everything. But, you know, she so goes, oh, well, you can't be right all the time. I'm not God. Right. It's her basic defense on this. And the sad thing is if you go to her website, she actually ha- has, her, um, you know, her whole defense. She supposedly claims that the family themselves sent her letters saying, um, we, we, um, we, we don't find you in the wrong in this. You're, um, we understand that mistakes happen. We still love you. And that's the family itself that was told their um, or their member was dead. Like this, you know, this, hey, this mentality of accepting the failures. Yeah. Ian, I have a quick question. Do investigators actually take that kind of stuff seriously or do they just ignore her? Um, uh, According to her, they take it seriously. According to everything else, if you um, actually read these articles, they talk about how actually the investigators generally find... Um, don't get anything from it, but still claims he's helped countless ones over the years. But that's not what the police themselves claim. You know, it, it, there there's a disconnect there. Um, you know, guys like Joe Nickel and and, and uh, Ben Radford who have looked into this stuff. You know, they 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 seem to say that it's the last it's the last resort to even listen to a psychic. Um, but there are some investigators who. Who believe that they have been helped to solve cases um, by psychics, but when you actually go back and review the evidence that 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 leads up to it, it, it it's circumstantial that that they that they were helpful. Um, so I don't think I you know it's it's hard to say I, without talking to the each one of these police forces and asking them how you know how do you feel about psychics? Well, I don't usually, think, the predictions are so incredibly vague that. Well, as to whether it whether it was helpful or not, you know, you can say, "Oh, well, but, she said this and this and this, and this is what we found." Well, so, so the, the examples uh, seen in these articles and stuff like they'll say, um, "You'll find her by a body of water." Right. There's that. Okay. Kind of stuff. That, I mean, river, lake, pond, bathtub. And how do you define by? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next to you. Yeah, that's they talk about distance. Like, well, right next to, a mile away. I mean, most of um. Humanity lives within a couple miles of a body of water. 
So. Yeah. Well, um, if you guys ever listen to the Skeptico podcast, Ben Radford appeared on there, and um, and Alex Atiris, who is definitely you know pro psychic, um, uh, Ben Radford had challenged him to find the best case. So they go and they find this case and they get the officers. And this it's like seventeen twenty years later that 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 from when this happened. And the and they go through all the evidence, and it ends up being, as she said, she said scenario. And the officers they they believe that the psychic helped. And when Alex Atiris asked the leading questions, you know, you get back the you get back these positive answers. When Bed Radford asks more direct questions um, that are more you know evidential based, they they aren't as good. Um, so it, some of this is how the questions are being asked to the people remembering whether the psychic was helpful or not. So, yeah, shame on Sylvia Brown, but I, I don't know that most people are taking this seriously. It's not a majority. No, it's not. She's for entertainment purposes only. Doesn't it still say that on her website? Pretty sure. Yeah. Now, I want to put forth a theory, and this may sound crazy. It probably will, but this may this may be the truth. I think that Sylvia Brown may have been right in this case. I think that I think that the girl actually was dead, and this is where it gets into the conspiracy level. I think Jesus raised her from the dead just to screw with Sylvia Brown. Okay. Wow. I know you keep ignoring my advice, but if we just had that cricket sound, yeah, this would all yeah, have context. I know. We could we could eliminate some of these issues. Yeah. I keep saying it. <laughs> All right. Um, Mac and you know, you're... you said that, Kimberly. <laughs> and Tango yeah. over across the room made a cricket sound for you. Oh, well, that, was, that was lovely of him. <laughs> All right. Let's get on to something more substantial. Are, are, are we done with Sylvia Brown? I've well, probably not. More than likely, you know, another year from now, we'll bring her up. <laughs> Well, it's it, here's the thing: is that she's an she's an easy target because yeah. she gets these things wrong a lot. I mean, and and this one is bad, but even worse is the one with with the, with the coal miner accident where she's t- telling where she's telling George Snorri, these people are dead; they're not going to make it. And then George, or no, or was it the other way around? I don't remember the incident completely. But basically, she told she, him she told she told him they were dead, or no, she told him that. She told him that they were alive, and when they started bringing people out of the out of the ground, she said, "I don't think anybody really survived that." Exactly. She makes this complete turnaround, and George Snorri totally lets her get away with it. I and mean, the, the thing is, he's right out there publicly getting all the media attention, doing it. I think that's the biggest problem. I the know, one but thing if she was doing it and backing down, but she gets out there and, and like, look at me. Uh, right, but I'm that right but that particular incident with with the uh, with with the coal yeah. mining accident in Chile, she was wrong in real time, and George Snorri totally gave her a pass. Of course, I, I I don't think much of him either. You know, for her age, the woman thinks on her feet. Well, well, that'd be part of being a psychic. You kind of almost have to learn. Well, that. it's cold reading. Well, right, that's, that's exactly. Cold reading. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's, that's what exactly it's about. What it yeah. So, all right. So let's continue. So we had a discussion about pranking and, quite frankly, hazing. We didn't bring up the word hazing at the time, but – It was hazing. It we is did, mention, we yeah. did mention hazing. Did we? Okay. And, and I disagreed with Ian's position on his, on, um, on his childhood pranks. 
And I am not the only one. Terry wrote wonderful things on the blog, which I don't know where they went. So yeah, I've invited her here to shame you in real time. <laughs> You're not going to shame me. I'll still stand for what I said. Here's the thing. is uh, We need to remember that this happened a long time ago. And we know how fallible memory is. That being said, I think that we can address the things that you did say. So I'm going to turn things over to Terry here. Okay. All right. So um, Ian told a story on the prank episode, on the April Fool's Day episode, about a prank called a snipe hunt, which I had to look up because I had never heard of it. It's basically a wild goose chase where you single out one or a few people and you send them off on an impossible or imaginary task. And obviously I wasn't there. I I don't know the details of the task, but um, Ian said some things that made me uncomfortable. Um, So I'm sure he's a nice guy, Ian, and I'm not attacking you personally. I just agree with you or I disagree with you with your opinion about pranks. So I'm going to give just a little bit of background so that I can set up my argument from anthropological authority, which has to do with a power dynamic in the scenario that I think is missing from the discussion. So anthropologists spend a lot of time thinking about the boundaries of a given social group, and we look at what determines inclusion or exclusion and try to figure that out. And a related thing that we look at um, is a cultural construct of power and status within a given group. So we look at uh, which members enjoy higher status and why, and which members you know, have lower status and who has power. And we watch how the group members sort of jockey among themselves for status within the group. Personally, my personal bias is that I think that noticing how a group negotiates status and power can shed a lot of light on human behavior. So whenever I see people behaving in a way that I find odd or surprising, like people who enjoy pranks, for example, Um, I look for power or social status markers, and even if these aren't the primary motivators for the behavior, sometimes they do influence the behavior. Because I'm aware of my bias is always about status and power, I do try to find evidence outside of that. So a couple of sources I found for pranks and practical jokes actually listed some benefits, some potential benefits for pranking in-group people. They listed things like group cohesion and integration of new members. And this actually sounds plausible to me, although I don't like it. Um, but what I want to explore a little bit is the difference between societal level initiation rituals or rites of passage involving pranks and small group or street level pranks like the snipe hunting incident that Ian um, reported. So with societal level rites of passage, they tend to be more formalized and ritualized than street level pranks. They tend to be specific to a transitional improvement in the target's social status, like a coming of age or formal recognition of a new member of a group, for example. Um, They might serve something like teaching a lesson about social norms, and they also tend to target a lot of members of the society at some point, rather than singling out one or two or a few individuals for, for informal social shaming, which is what I think this knife hunting thing did. Um, one example of this societal level ritualized prank in our society is the Santa Claus mythology. And I apologize if kids are listening, but the vast majority of young children in our society are socialized to believe in Santa, but it's really a prank that all the grown-ups are in on. And aging out of this belief and learning the truth is a marker of maturation and uh, transition to more adult-like status. So I think societal level rites of passage involving pranks elevate the targets to a position of higher social status, which is the opposite of pranks that single out individuals or small groups for public shaming. 
I think public shaming pranks are harmful to the target, typically. They represent an abuse of power that occurs without the consent of the target. And that's kind of a key thing for me is uh, when you screw around with somebody with a prank, you don't have their permission to waste their time or to, you know, make them look bad or whatever. It's, you know, I'm just uncomfortable with that. And uh, public shaming pranks are designed to shame or humiliate the target. And, and that results in a lowering of the target's social status in the group. These pranks often elevate the social status of the perpetrators or the people who are doing the prank. And it demonstrates or reinforces the power dynamic because uh, the people who are doing the pranks are the ones with the power. I think they serve to establish in-group out-group status by embarrassing or marginalizing the target, even if that's not the primary motivation. And um, the pranksters have the power. They're the ones who get to decide when the prank has gone on long enough. And it's not the target. The main problems I have with the public shaming type of pranks is that they occur without consent and the victim of the victim and the unequal power dynamic lends itself to abuse. So Ian, your account of snipe hunting was a really good example of the evolving power dynamic because during the course of that prank, your social status evolved from out-group as a target to in-group participant in the prank against the remaining target. The other reason I thought this was a really good thing to deconstruct was that um, it highlighted the power disparity when you talked about how long you and the other pranksters allowed it to continue. You said something like, we, we didn't cross the line. But then you said that the target was upset, and to me that maybe you did cross his personal well, line. And that's what's... I'm just going to finish. Yeah. I just have like one more thing to say. Okay, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that's what's hard about it. Everyone has different levels of tolerance for this kind of stuff, and it's up to the pranksters to stop when the target exhibits distress. But what often happens, or what seems to happen, and I'm not saying this happened in your case, but typically what seems to happen is that there's a weird positive feedback loop where the increasing distress of the target increases the severity and length of the prank. And that's, uh, all, well, that's all I wanted to say. Let me, been, uh, let me throw something in here real quick, Ian, before yeah, you yeah. jump in there. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of what you said about this being a ritualized, uh, about the the formal rite of passage type prank this snipe hunt is a it's a tradition it's not necessarily to say it's right but it's oh it is i wasn't a, i wasn't and aware it of is, it's a tradition it is it's you know it's on wikipedia it's a tradition um <laughs> well let me just say that part of but, part of my high but, school experience hold, hold on I'm, one second okay. let me finish my point here yeah. <laughs> you know the other thing too is um you know was anybody actually forced to snipe hunt Social pressure is a powerful thing, you know. Maybe the huh? target was trying to. I, I was actually directing in... that toward. I was actually directing that toward Ian. Oh, I'm the sorry. snipe hunt was actually voluntary, correct? Yes. Uh, well, okay. Were there were there any punishments for coming out coming back without a snipe? Nope. But the first thing I'll start off with: having been on the side of pranks that were specifically done to humiliate a person, having been had pranks done to me for that sole purpose, I know exactly what that feels like. I've been there. I've done it. It's not fun. Well, on that point, though, Ian, you can't necessarily tell me how the person who was the recipient of the, you know, the person that you were saying was kind of the out man well, on this. You can't tell me how he felt about it. I, I, well, I can't tell you exactly how he feels, but I can. I know the situation. You can't tell me how he feels at all. You, yeah. All you can tell me is how you felt. No, I, I can tell a few things. I can tell you a few things about the guy that actually was in the exchange we had on um, the Empty Skeptics page of God Erased. I actually kind of explained more of this person's character there and some of the issues with him. But the, the basic setup was it was a youth group that um, he had been a member of longer than I had, but he had never quite really done anything. He, he kind of made himself an outsider. 
beforehand. Okay. Before I came in, he was already making himself into a bit of an outsider, and he had been active with the group longer. So here we are on a camping trip, and I was pretty much new to the group at the time. And so, um, it, and my understanding is it was kind of a traditional thing. The, the older boys had gone through similar stuff when they had first joined. So they set up the snipe hunt, um, and, you know, it, it was a volunteer. It's like, we're going to go snipe hunting. You guys want to join kind of thing? You know, everyone's going to do it. And I caught on. They weren't very good at it, I thought, because basically they kept, they would roll rocks down and yell, oh, there's one, there's one. And it's like, no, that's a rock rolling. So, you know, I, I caught on fairly quickly, and the other guy didn't. At no point during the time did he get upset. He didn't get upset until he found out he had been, that the prank had been pulled. He, he was not sitting here, you know, and no one was really making fun of him or anything. You know, there was no humiliation in regards to no one was like, oh, look at that, he fell for it kind of thing. Um, and then... You know, in the aftermath, that's when I really started realizing his character, and having spent time with him afterwards, I saw it more and more. He is the kind of person that, if you were to trip and fall on your face, he would laugh at you and um, mock you. But if he did something even mildly weird, and you give him a hard time over it, he would get defensive and tell you off. Right. Well, but here's, here's the problem with that, is that those kinds of reactions are typical when a person feels like they're not fitting into a group. And it sounds like if he had been with these people before that these people already knew this gentleman and they knew that they shouldn't have been pulling pranks on him in the first place. On the one hand, you could say that pulling pranks on him was actually a way to try to get him to fit into the group. That was – yeah, that's the thing. But on the other hand, you can say that – you can say that what you just said about him and the fact that he was not the type to pull pranks on and, you know, he'd be the first person to laugh at you at your misfortune, but he was the last person to enjoy his own misfortune. You could say that that's blaming the victim. So my question is, if it was designed to try to integrate him into the group as a rite of passage, why didn't it work? Because his own personal issues with how dare, you know, he, 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 I've I dealt with people like this. They're untouchable. You know, if, if I fall into something stupid, I'll, I'll admit to it and laugh about it. Like the um, bowling, I've you know gone over the line, slipped and fall on my ass. I get up and laugh about it. Everyone else is like, oh, man, we still have gotten that. That'd be perfect for America's Funnest Home Video. I laugh it off and blow it off. He would do that exact same kind of thing, and someone says that, he's like, oh, shut up, you assholes, and yell at you because how dare you treat him like you do your buddies. And see, you know, one thing, you know, I, I know, you know, we give each other a hard time here on the podcast. We mock each other. We dog on each other just for fun. He would not get along with us at all because as soon as we said something about him, he would get pissy and log off. He has, you know, he himself has an attitude that kind of won't let you play even fun pranks. Because, you know, you can do fun pranks on people and they're harmless. They're just for fun. You know, they've caused no harm. And I, I, that can be a fun little way to connect. You can't do that with him because he decides to take it personally. Yet, like I said, just the opposite to him. It's fine for him to make fun of other people and put them down and, you know, if they do something stupid to make him. If he was leading the snipe hunt, I'd almost guarantee he's the type of person that would push it too far by, um, go, you know, the person that fell for it, he'd really go after them. So what's the appropriate way to deal with a person like that? How do we do that? How would we do that at the open school, Ian? How would your, how are your <laughs> kids being taught to deal with this? I can tell you how they're being taught to deal with this. That's when you sit down and you have a conversation with this person and you try to work it out. That, yeah, and if I, that fails, you take the, the ceremonial Boy Scout club, the one that is made out of the femur of a departed Eagle Scout, and you smash his brains out. Here's the Every thing. Every pack has got one of those. Ian. Is it? Admit it. 
<sighs> these kinds of situations happen all the time, and they have to be dealt with appropriately. And it doesn't sound like you ever got an adult involved with this situation and sat down as a group to have a conversation with this person to try and deal with this person's insecurities. Well, the adults actually were involved in doing the prank. Well, there's a huge problem but right there. Actually, I think a big part of his stuff was his parents ha- um, had him in the, like in their 60s, and he was an only child. I think okay, he grew I'm, up with some I'm really, offsetting um, social issues. I, I think we have to put this particular incident aside and talk about this in more generalities because we have a particular issue here, but I also think that – we are making assumptions about a person that we that we cannot do that about, and we're and we're and we're going too far when we start making guesses about his family and stuff like well, that. No, I, I mean, I, I knew his family. I, his family actually had some of the same problems. I'd but say think, get him on the podcast. I wouldn't. He. I don't think. He <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that, Terry? I was going to say, broadly speaking. Um, so I understand that this was you all know, were kids or whatever when this happened, and that's that's a slightly different scenario. But what if something like this? Um, Harm somebody's credibility in the workplace, or harm their credibility in their social group. Would it be okay? But they didn't hurt his credibility. They, they basically because he had none to lose. Thing. Yeah, they, these yeah. people already thought he had no credibility to lose, and and it sounds to me like they were picking on him. That's what it sounds to me. Every time you continue to talk about the situation, it sounds like this boy was being picked on. So yeah, he was jumping on people because he was being picked on. No, the thing he is, was they, being bullied. No, they would back off. They let him be. He didn't want to be part of the crowd. He didn't want to, you know, do it from that point of view. So they let him be. And he still, you know. So why did he join the snake hunt? Because he wanted to be. He wanted to be in. He wanted to be included in ultimately. But he just didn't have the social tools to do it. But you see, you know, we're, we're talking about victim and stuff. But what side is it? I think he's more. He was more playing the victim. In this case, I was there, and that's one of the problems I have with this. Is you know, I, I know the guy personally. I was there. I you know saw it firsthand. I know exactly what happened, and I know how this group was. I got it far worse than him, but I was actually part of the group. I gave it as good as I got it, and I you know was laughing it off and blowing it off. He on the I other still got to say though, you don't you don't know what happens inside his head. Yeah, you're not that's, inside that's, his head. Yeah. Well, and that's I, what I was saying. I was just going to say that's what I was getting to. Different people have different um, thing, you know, different to- levels of tolerance for that. Yeah. And I know I don't sound like it, but I'm someone who can joke around too. But my concern is the unequal power dynamic here. But I, I know his, I know his actions. I know what he did, what he said, the way he reacted to things. That I can tell you. And the way he reacted was pushing himself to be an outsider. It wasn't trying to figure out ways to fit in. It wasn't trying to say, okay, you guys got me good, you know, and move on. When no. Did, Ian, how old? How old were you guys? Um, probably 13 or 14. And when did you learn your social integration techniques, how to, how to integrate with a group? When did Actually, you learn some those? of that group when did you learn them? my social integration techniques. What? Okay. When did he and, learn them? I don't know if he ever did. Well, see, but therein lies the problem. And the, yeah. the times I saw him, uh, uh, when we became the older boys in the group and he could boss around the younger ones, he was much happier when he was on top. And could basically, you know, most people, like, yeah, there's but, the uh, power thing again. Yeah, there's the, the power, power dynamics. That's, dynamics. But see, he didn't like being at the bottom at all. I had no problems being at the bottom because no I was like, li- okay, I, you know, I'm no one likes group. to be at the bottom. That, that, and that's that, I think that's part of part of the issue here is that nobody actually wants to be at the bottom. And, and if you're joking around and you're giving it as good as you're getting it, you're on equal footing. You're not at the bottom. 
But he didn't try and make himself on equal footing. He waited until he was old enough that he was above everyone else. How do you do that, though? How do you do that? How do you learn those skills? By, to me, having a sense of humor about that stuff, understanding, you know. In, really? In the that, that, type, that's that's, how, that's how you do it? That's how you learn it? By having a sense of humor? That did helps. he have a and did he have a sense of humor? No. So you were picking on a disabled person. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, it's getting worse. Isn't it? We got a really humored person. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, the, these I've seen these situations happen, and with kids, it's even more difficult because we don't always have the social tools that are required to deal with these situations as victims or as bullies. You know, we're, we're still learning those social integration techniques. And so I have a hard time blaming him specifically for this incident be, because he needs to be taught. He needs to learn how to deal with these things. We don't know. We don't really know what was going on. Well, I'll give you that. And, and there's a severe lack of empathy here for this gentleman. You'd have to have met him and understood him. You can't be empathic towards a guy that is basically acting like a jerk. Yes, you can. Technically, to be empathic toward him is to understand him. I tr- trust. I, I spent more time. No, than and see, and when people say guys, trust me, that pisses me off too. Because now you want me to think you're an authority on this. I can't uh, trust I'm you. To deal with him, I'm probably the most out of that group. I was the one who, who kept trying to friend him kept trying to do everything i could to get along with him and he made it hard the fact that you have to tell me to just to trust you doesn't uh, obviously tells me you don't have the resources to adequately explain the situation because and that i'm there. fine with you I, think, don't, don't I, I like brian's idea of stepping back though and taking the broad view and thinking more broadly rather than about well, this particular problem, guy yeah uh, <laughs> please but the problem with that is what's wrong which you've already said people take it differently to me right. the snipe hunting prank was not malice it was not harmful it was not mean it was not trying to humiliate him it was just having fun but even if that wasn't the intention what if that was the outcome does that make it okay if you didn't intend to i don't think that was the outcome at all i th- okay but generally not in your specific case but in general like broadly speaking uh, about other so sim- what- once more, it depends. Each prank's different. I I, I I pulled a prank or two that have crossed the line. I'm aware of that, and you know. And you don't do it anymore. Right, but <laughs> I do simple pranks. I Just checking. I mean, you want to talk about you know asking for a prank? Cruel. On the first time I took my wife to Carlsbad Caverns, actually this would be the second time we went on a special tour. It was me, her, and my father. We were at the bottom of Carlsbad Caverns, and um, I knew the way to the cafeteria, which was the way to the elevators. Get up. Well, I um said, okay, let, um, let's head to the elevator, and I directed her the opposite direction, which was taking her back in the cavern. Me and my father start walking the other way towards the actual elevator. She, she realizes we're not following her after a few moments, turns and comes running after us, and, uh, it, you know, she was laughing about it. it well, was that's a, simple- a different dynamic. She wasn't trying to integrate in your group. She was already a member of the group. That That's like, to me, that's at the benign end of the spectrum. There's a reason why on trips now at our kids' school that they have said no pranks. And when I when I was going there, we did a thing called the wilderness trip. And, of course, snipe hunts happened a lot in that trip. And I, I heard lots of horror stories about you know about people who who were the victims of these and I only can only ever remember one story that was like a real group bonding story where everybody got involved and was doing the snipe hunt whether they knew it was a joke or not um for the most part I, I can say that most of the time I think that these pranks blow up on us particularly as kids I think it changes as we become adults and we learn to you know to read people better 
and and we can empathize better and we can recognize when, when things are going too far. But as kids, we don't always have those skills necessary to do that. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. But Well, as kids, doing that is what teaches us the skills as to what is going too far. And sometimes yeah. it's a lot of trial and error. So I read, um, I don't have, I didn't put the link because I just now thought of it. In um, Slate, there's a column called Dear Prudence, which is an advice column. This yeah. is not a scientific source. Um, but there's a story in there where a woman's husband at work is a prankster, and he spikes somebody's coffee with, like, mustard and ketchup or something else. The guy's allergic to mustard. He Ooh. goes into anaphylactic shock. Before he, the paramedics arrive, he manages to punch the prankster, and the wife is completely disgusted with her husband for doing this because this is just typical of his behavior. Here's an adult who didn't integrate, but like, what do you think? He wasn't trying to hurt the guy. He wasn't trying to cause him to have, you know, have to go to the ER or whatever. And he got fired from his job. Yeah. We don't, again, we don't know what was happening in this guy's head. There may have actually been, there may have actually been some malice toward this particular person, not necessarily homicidal. I want to, I want to cause you to go into anaphylactic shock. I want your throat to close up and I want you to die kind of malice. But there may have been a malice and a wish to do some kind of harm. Well, it was public shaming. He was yucking it up with his buddies. Oh, look, you know, I I just screwed with his coffee and. Oh, well, look, I screwed with his coffee. Ooh, and he's turning blue. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's not the usual reaction. Dumbass didn't, um, you know, I talked about that when I put all the guy's stuff from his, from his, uh, on his walls, on his ceiling. He, uh, dumbass didn't, uh, doesn't understand why that was humorous. And I can understand why many people might not understand why that was humorous. But for us, um, you know, the, the guy I did that to was the office prankster. And, uh, and for us to walk by and look at the stuff on the ceiling, it gave everybody kind of a chuckle. Um, but I can understand why that particular prank doesn't translate well to, to some people. Who aren't in that group. Right. Aren't right? in that yeah. group. And, and, and that was the thing is that in, uh, for us, that, 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 that prank was completely benign. It didn't hurt anybody. And it, and it got the guy it's who like was most likely party. to prank your option office. What's that? Just like the snipe hunting, okay? In in some situations, yes, not in yours, but in others. <laughs> See, because nobody nobody was crying later. He he wrote. He, he no, wrote, he wasn't crying. He was just being a total ass well, about it. See, all, and all the guy did to me to get me back is you know write 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 silly things on my notepads. You know, they're go surreal. You know, all I, every page I flipped to had go surreal on it on one of my notepads. <laughs> but but Do you for know us, for sure it was him. Well, I, I guess I'm not positive, right? You know, there could it's be ghosts. ghosts. But for but for now, us, those kinds of ben, benign office pranks were 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 kind of they kind of gave us a chuckle, and and it really was nobody nobody felt harmed by those. We were very careful as to not go too far. But part of, you were just a, this is the office prank. He could take it as well as give it, and he um had a sense of humor about it. Right? Yeah, he did. Right, but, okay. but but here's the thing: is that we already have an integrated, cohesive group. We already know each other. We already like each other. So, so we so when we do stuff like that, it it we, well, can, okay. we can take so it. We just not have included him in any of the activities. We yes, were doing and of the absolutely. That, actually, <laughs> that yes. would have been that yes. would have been worse just to not include well, him in the sniper. That, that, that would be that the other option. Been, that would have been like worse. That, to say, okay, we might prank someone doing any of our activities. Therefore, a guy who can't take pranks, we can't invite to anything because we might end up pranking him and um, he'll take it wrong. Well, other, you know, otherwise, you're going to have to use it as a teaching moment. And if you don't have the energy to do that, yeah, he should be unincluded. And when he when you ask why, you tell him, listen, because you can't take a joke and you be honest with him. 
So yeah, I I, I kind of do think that you you that you exclude him, and that that is part of the learning process too. Why is this person being excluded? Well, these are the reasons that that you know that we don't include well, him. How on are you these supposed things. to find that out until you've actually at least done something? Well, but these people <laughs> already knew. You keep telling me that he was already uh, that yeah. these people in the group already knew him, and that's the key to a lot of this is that he was already known. His attitudes were already known. But and and not by you necessarily, but by to somebody else in that group. Somebody else was the ringleader that started this snipe hunt, and that's the gentleman that really I want to talk to. You were kind of a passive observer in a lot of ways in this because you were also being hazed into the group. But he wasn't. He was already part of the group, or at least known to the and group. See, the thing is, thinking back to it, I think he liked the idea that you were including him in something. He was actually seemed quite excited about being there, being part of it. But as soon as he found out that, oh, hey, these guys are doing what they've been doing, I don't like that anymore. Okay. Because why do you think? He, do you think ahead. it just made him feel bad? Like, why didn't he like it? Because he fell for it, and he, um, no, no one called him stupid or put him down or anything. But I think he, like, oh my god, they're making fun of me. And, and, was he embarrassed? Do you think, or he, he did he feel him embarrassed? He felt like he had been made a fool. Well, that's and embarrassment. The thing is, no one, but the, he, he didn't act embarrassed. He didn't like, oh my, you know, he just acted um, pissed off. And the okay. thing is, no one necessarily was making fun of him or putting him down or anything. I, I'm really tired of speculating on this situation. <laughs> well, you, you see, there's the just thing is, no way you're to know. More speculation than me. You have to realize that I was there. I saw it firsthand. Uh, well, you it was years ago, and memory is flawed, and I think that you're doing quite a bit of speculation yourself. But logically, you're doing more. So don't no, even logically, I'm doing more. But here, but the thing is, is that nobody stepped back to empathize with this. That's clear by your story. Well, the fact that they didn't after it was quite clear he was upset. Like, okay, we just you know we'll back off and not bring it up again. All right, all right, Ian, your Which homework the from the podcast. Yeah, you got to friend him on Facebook and you got to get him on the podcast. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't <laughs> like. Here's him. the thing: is that yeah, Terry, Terry's right. The, the what you just said. Once you knew he was angry, backing off and get away from the situation is is the correct response. And maybe you guys did that. Yeah, no, we didn't. That, that's the thing. They kind of knew not if, if he got that way, not to push. It's like okay, okay he's not going right. to be part of it. We will end it. But I think that I think that the real part that we had a problem was is when you started the victim blaming. And and that and that I think is is a real problem blaming but the victim. But in this case, he was playing the victim more than the ah. Know, but there is that's no different. Did I say it was his fault. The prank was pulled. Playing playing victim is different than victim blaming. Right, but you, but you are saying that I'm not blaming him. You but you are saying that it's it's his fault that he can't take a joke. Right, that was the problem. It, yeah, well, he, that's he, not victim blaming. That's pointing out that's that victim blaming. If if he's not enjoying what's going on, but he's going to be part of it, he has to learn to um, take a joke. Yeah, but he didn't consent to be part of it. He didn't know what was no, going actually, on. Actually, he somewhat did by associating. He, he knew these guys did that kind of stuff. Guilty by association. I love it. Let's keep going. What kind of rabbit hole can we get in next? But, you know, I'm still going to I'm going to have to make the point, Terry. He did consent to be part of it. It does sound like it. It, it you know, it's not well, it's not like the snipe hunt is an involuntary Right, but it wasn't in it wasn't necessarily informed consent, right? He didn't well, quite know what he was getting into. Right, yeah. but, but he knew on the other hand, guys. they didn't exactly put him on a chain gang and say, you're going to hunt this snipe now. Sure, but I'm sure there was a lot of social pressure to participate. Okay, I'm sorry. Has, has everybody said their piece here? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, but we, we, I mean, we, <laughs> I we can continue talking about this, and, and I think that we're starting to go in circles, and but, I yeah. really do think it's time to end this conversation. Um, that we can't, we can't know exactly what happened in that situation. Ian feels comfortable with it. I've said my piece. Terry, have you said your piece? At length, yes. And, 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 
<laughs> and Kimberly has said her piece. I'm not going to be comfortable until we get the guy on the podcast. Well, Kimberly has said her piece by saying nothing. Which I take as tacit approval. By yeah, exactly, right? She's <laughs> approval. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she's certainly not giving tacit approval to Ian. I would have pantsed the guy, too. That's right. You would have pantsed him, too? <laughs> you would have pantsed him, too. <laughs> all right. No, well, I'm, we, we, I'm, let, I'm let's move on. Because that we, would have made everything all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This conversation went on longer than we had expected, so we're going to break this into two podcasts. So this is the end of part one, and we'll pick up part two with rape culture. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to MySpace.com forward slash OFM. FMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 